this episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. See the side art, feel the controls, and hear the cars on the stereo. Now, you might think the arcade experience is gone forever, but nope, it's just gone to Chicago. You can find it at the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. All right, now. For all you boppers out there in the big city, all you street people with an ear for the action, I've been asked to relay a request from the Gramercy Riffs. It's a special for the Warriors. That's that real live bunch from Coney. Here's a hit with them in mind. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Rob O'Hara from You Don't Know Flack Podcast. Low Rob. Hey, Carrington, <laughs> what's going on? I'm surprised to hear from you, but delighted to hear from you. Are you? Uh, you are not as delighted as um, Mike is on how uncomfortably close we're sitting right now. <laughs> oh, are you <laughs> hugging? Oh, yeah. oh, we pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, we have a surprise guest on No Quarter, and that delights me. Yeah, I think we do. I was recently, for five minutes, on Rob's podcast. You were? Yep. Why were you cheating on me, Carrington? <laughs> Rob did a podcast about podcasting. Rob is very meta. That's true, he is. And very ninja. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to do, uh, my next podcast will be a podcast about the podcast I did about podcasting. Excellent. Until eventually we just all disappear into a giant wormhole. Bring it. Sort of like Googling Google, or dividing by zero. <laughs> so folks, what is up? Um, well, uh, you and I were talking before we started recording about our activities this weekend. Uh, Rob is out here in Denver with me, and uh, we went to the One Up Arcade here in Denver to take in a bit of the Kong off. And uh, Billy Mitchell was here, and Steve Wiebe, and Walter Day, and the whole Donkey Kong crew. Never heard uh, of any of them. No? no? Nope. I bet some of our listeners have, though. Th- those sound like made-up names. It is all Donkey Kong all the time down there at the One Up. They have replaced... Um, <laughs> Uh, an entire wall. We, I counted there are 22 Donkey Kong machines in a row. Um, and so they have an area where just the VIP people are and then uh, people who have qualified to be in the tournament throughout the year. And then down at the end, I know I've heard you guys talk about Donkey Kong, the Pauline edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a dedicated uh, Pauline machine <laughs> down near the end and a Donkey Kong 2 machine. But uh, And there is a VIP area. And the donkey, there's a special area that's roped off with chairs and a little table, and it says VIP. And so I have a new goal in my life. Um, and, not, not, and not Donkey Kong, because I looked at the scores today. Mike and I looked at the scores. And there's not a score that I could come close to even if you drop the last digit. Oh, my um, goodness. So right, yeah. what, what if you um, drop the first digit? Uh, no. Still, what if, because what if you got to select the digit? If I get to divide... <laughs> by the number of people that were in that room there is a possibility uh, but there the, the scores are and i don't know what's a, the highest score that you saw there today mike I, I don't remember the the high score that i saw but i did see after we left somebody tweeted that uh, steve Wiebe had broken a million and was had a bunch of guys left so he may be on his way to setting another record and we were actually we were talking about this earlier it's interesting to see because Steve Wiebe comes and he plays. He was on the stool playing for all four or five hours that we were down there. Billy Mitchell was there and he kind of, he worked the line of, you know, he's shaking hands, taking pictures, giving the thumbs up. And I don't think we saw him play. No. And, and even Walter Day, like I, I have a picture. I got a picture of me. Uh, with Billy Mitchell, a picture of me with Walter Day and Billy Mitchell. And then I have several pictures of the back of Steve Wiebe's head. Um, <laughs> I mean, he is in, when he's playing, he is definitely focused on playing Donkey Kong for sure. Yeah, so here's the thing about the Kong off. It's a great time and there's a lot of dedicated gamers there. And it's fun for a little while until you realize that because they've replaced all of the video games for the gamers, well, almost all of them, you can't play video games yourself unless you're in the tournament. So you're basically there to watch somebody else play or you can go 
uh, play pinball or ski ball or something like that. But you're really not going to get on a machine this weekend. So it's fun for a while, and then you're like, eh, we should go somewhere and, else. And because of the, the the layout of the one-up, if you're playing pinball, you can't really see what's going on the on the Donkey Kong side. So, yeah, it did become a thing very quickly of how long are you willing to stand and watch, for the most part, people you don't know play Donkey Kong. Right. Well, that's not the only thing you and I have done this weekend, Rob. Uh, you got here a couple of days ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And we actually took in uh, a screening of the Space Invaders movie. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, I guess there wasn't a there wasn't a huge turnout. I thought there would be more more people there, but um, uh, we did get to meet uh, Jeff. Do you remember what his Jeff on Ward? He's yeah. the guy that he he did everything basically. It's you know, yeah. He, director, he told us producer editor. Yeah, he spent the last two summers. He said editing the the film, and he was standing in the front of the theater when he walked in. He shook our hands. It's, and he was a really pleasant guy. We talked to him for oh probably fifteen minutes after the screening ended. Yeah, it was there was you and me, and there was like a, a guy and his girlfriend a few rows back, and there was Jeff, and that was it. Oh. I was really kind of surprised. It was, I mean, and Jeff was there, and he was obviously expecting to do a Q and A because he had a microphone and stuff like that. So I, I think that was, I don't know, I was kind of disappointed at, at the showing. I mean, I'm glad that it happened, and, mm-hmm. uh, and he's out here anyway for the Kong off and stuff. So it was cool to meet him, but you know, it's like enough tickets were purchased for this thing to happen so where was everybody well that's what i was wondering because this was one of those tug.com things or whatever and so it was supposed to only happen if there was enough people that wanted to go so it's kind of weird that people would arrange the tickets and then do a no-show right yeah i don't know maybe they were all down at the the one and and i think the other couple when they left i thought i heard them say um that it was uh more enjoyable on the big screen uh, which would imply that they had seen it before. And I know you mm. guys have talked about it before, and I watched it originally on Amazon streaming, and I'm assuming Jeff has seen it before. So <laughs> <laughs> it was it was really a room of people that have all seen this before. But I, I, I did agree. I thought it was, it was uh, you know, fun to sit in there. And especially, you know, I, I had watched it before on Amazon streaming, so you're watching it on a computer screen. And then when you're in a movie theater, uh, you could see so many more details. You could see the machines in the background, the different things going on. And being here at the Kong off too, there's a lot of people that I saw in the movie that then later on I saw at the one up. Right. Yeah. There were a lot of, a lot of the collectors uh, that showed up and then I, I got to meet a couple of them. And then, uh, and so we left the, we left the one up at, I don't know, two or three in the afternoon. Cause it was starting to, it was starting to really fill up in there and, it was time to go, and, and we went, where did we go, Rob? Well, we went over to uh, a friend of mine's house who lives here in Denver, whose name is also Rob. He is Rob with two Bs. I don't know if that will be less confusing or not, but um, Rob is also a arcade collector, and he has a private collection of uh, about 15 machines, I think, uh, in his house. And so uh, we went over there, Mike and myself. and uh, Egan Ford, data jerk. He was out here for the, the Kong off, so we... Tossed him in the trunk and drove up there. Who was not a jerk at all. <laughs> and, and did not look like Data. So, <laughs> But um, yeah, so we went over and, and Rob's arcade collection. My collection uh, was definitely uh, quantity over quality. I, I owned uh, a lot of games I've told people um, that I didn't particularly care for. Multiple <laughs> copies of Scramble, for instance. Absolutely, right. A game that I can't stand. I bought it twice. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I, if I find another cheap one, I, <laughs> you never know. I could buy a third copy. Uh, but, uh, Rob's collection, I'm trying to think of, uh, what are some of the games you played over there, Mike? Uh, let's see. There was a, there's a Mappy, Centipede, Asteroids, Tempest, um, you name it. He had, he had all the classics and they mm-hmm. were all, all in pretty good shape, I think. Yeah. And, um, and, and I know, uh, earlier this year, Rob sold a couple of his machines and bought, I know you guys are not big pinball fans, but he bought a new Tron pinball machine. Yeah, the Tron Legacy one that Stern just put out recently. Yeah, and he actually did a modification on the playfield. There's a little tiny uh, arcade machine about the size of those Hallmark uh, video game uh, Christmas ornaments. Mm -hmm. And he ordered one that's modified that has a tiny little LCD screen on it that is actually running MAME and it's running Tron in the attract mode on that's the pinball cool. table. 
Yeah, uh, did he mod yeah. that game so that in ti- inside that there's a tinier little Tron? <laughs> no, Playing a, pinball. <laughs> tiny little pinball machine in it. Uh, yeah, I, I took some pictures of that. We'll, we'll have that up um, when we post the show. But yeah, I, it was a great time. And, and what, I was, what I realized was what, as I was playing the Tron Legacy, because I also played it at the 1UP, it's kind of neat to have the privacy of a little arcade like that because you hear all of the nuances of the game and and stuff and you're not i'm I'm not saying that i don't like the the ambience of an arcade it's great but you sometimes a lot of stuff gets drowned out and Mm -hmm. it's nice to be able to hear that and let me tell you i i know i'm the the last guy on the planet apparently that really enjoys elevator action no i'm with you on that one i love it it's it's mike that is the weirdo here Uh, that's a phrase that comes naturally from many times i've repeated it am i gonna have to ban my co-host and my guest tonight (laughs) i couldn't get him to play it but uh, rob does have an elevator act which i have a, a um soft spot for you know that's the first machine that i ever bought and so, um, yeah, I did get to play that a little bit today, and it's just a, as wonderful. You might explain to Mike, and we could change the whole game this episode. We could just talk about how great Elevator Action yes. is. Wonderful. I'm, I'm with you on that. on you right now. Ow, ow, get off me, Mike. Let's, ow, ow. <laughs> take it back. You take it back. <laughs> So that was that's been kind of my weekend. How about yours, Carrington? My weekend has been less eventful than yours because there are no arcades in the wasteland that is Toronto, and we have a crackhead mayor. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I got going on. Well, we normally I'd say we'd have to edit that out later, but it's true. It so absolutely, <laughs> it's not true. really slander or libel or whatever. Uh, the uh, arcade scene is alive and well in uh, in and around Denver, Colorado. I can tell you that we went to a. Uh, there's a, we found a pinball place last night that had 30 pinball tables. Uh, next door to that was a blues bar that in the basement had another 15 arcade machines. And I think we're going to an arcade in Fort Collins yeah. tomorrow, which is uh, supposed to be pretty substantial too. So, uh, Carrington, if you ever get cold of living up there in the tundra surrounded by <laughs> ice and penguins and crackhead mayors, you're describing I, August very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should come to Denver, Colorado. Because, no, you have uh, no oxygen. You're up above the space. It's too high. Uh, I, I did feel lightheaded, but then I, I thought that might just be the enjoyment from elevator action. That oh. I, I might be <laughs> getting that way. You shut your mouth. <laughs> no, no, this is good. I'm enjoying my new co-host. This is awesome. <laughs> <sighs> Carrington, do we have news? We do. We have a bit of news. It's all very solipsistic news, uh, mostly to do with other places that people can hear us. Us, us, us. Let's talk about us. Why don't you solipsize for people? Yes. So the first is that there's this, um, I don't know, slap together hackneyed network thingy we've joined. (laughs) (laughs) You mean the, are you talking about the retro, the real retro junkies? I'm talking about the throwback network, of course. Oh, (laughs) God. Yes. We have gone into the gutter. We are now sullying that network with our presence. No, we're actually very, very, very delighted to have joined. So if you're interested in our podcast and you're you're all up in the the glory of the the retro gaming and all that business you are going to find like-minded people and other podcasts to love over at the throwback network and um so we are part of that i'm totally thrilled i love it i love that uh, rob has invited us with open arms or at least let us muscle our way in (laughs) ride his coattails (laughs) and of course everyone can find out um uh, the other shows there and and follow us too over at throwbacknetwork.com and we will of course have a link in the show notes and a a prominent link on the site going forward to make sure everyone knows that we are part of the the network I'm, i'm thrilled me too. Yeah. Yeah, we're we glad to have you guys for sure. I mean, uh, we've uh, been listeners and fans of the show as long as uh, as long as anybody. And and actually, we I think we just added, um, I was going to say Carrington's other show, but I checked Monster Feed and Carrington has 18 other, 18 pages <laughs> of shows. But one of my other through. shows, yes. The one, one of, of your other shows, yeah, the RCR, <laughs> the Retro Computing Roundtable. Which uh, at the moment is a, a, a tiny table, a table for two, because it's Earl and I, and we're still trying to find uh, a couple of, at least one or two other people to join us. So um, if people out there want to be on a podcast, <laughs> you know, hit us up. But right now it is still Earl and I gathering together, and the two of us uh, bi-weekly talk about old computer stuff. He's very much a Commodore guy. He's wrong. I'm very much an Apple guy, so I'm right. And it's a it's a fun show. So yeah, we're we're part. You both, broke both up there. I didn't. You broke up. I heard the Commodore was great. I didn't hear the other part. <laughs> I, I just, I'll oh, I'll fix it in post. 
<laughs> should, I, should I just run him out of here now? <laughs> and um, uh, the other bit of news is that uh, Mike, through some sort of shenanigans, has got us uh, a place on Stitcher for this, for this show as well. I don't know how you, you did that, Mike, but I'm glad that you did. I filled out the application and they said yes. Nice. Sneaky. I wouldn't have thought to do it that way. The thing is, I, 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 when we first started doing this way back when in the Dark Ages, I filled out an application and they ignored us. We weren't important back then, I guess. No. Well, they didn't know that I was part of the show. Oh, well, that must be it. And now word has gotten out that it's not just you. <laughs> in spite of Carrington's presence, yes, you can find us on, uh, on Stitcher. Is it a coincidence that they've let us in and this is the show that uh, uh, Rob joins us? <laughs> Maybe it's him, actually. <laughs> Maybe this so. This be uh, your, your only one, right? right. <laughs> They're going to kick you right back <laughs> off. This one episode will be on Stitcher. No, we'll have a link in. So if you are a fan of Stitcher, as we know a lot of our listeners are, you can find us on there either by doing a search for No Quarter or we will have a direct link in the show notes for this episode over to where you can find us on Stitcher. And I'll try to finagle a little tiny mini link over by the RSS feed and the, and the iTunes feed as well. So if if you prefer Stitcher to other places to find us, I will try to enable that as much as I can, uh, although I am lazy, so it might take some time. Yeah, what's great about Stitcher is that uh, if you're a heavy content user and you don't want to have to deal with uh, downloads and, and file management and things like that, everything just streams right from Stitcher and then it's gone when it's done. Mm -hmm. Anything else, Carrington? Nope, that's all we have for news. Okay, well, um, we, we blathered on about the one-up and stuff, so I think we're going to skip... Feedback this week, sorry listeners, uh, but we're, what, 15 minutes into recording already and it's time to talk about this week's game. We played a game? I think it was a game. Uh-oh. It, it was a little bit different. Uh, we, we tried to stick to, to our No Vector theme um, and this week we chose uh, Warrior by Vector Beam. Yes, by Vector Beam and kind of by Cinematronics as well, but actually developed by... Vector Beam and put up by them. So this is Vector Beam, a Cinematronics company. Because at this point, they had been uh, re-gobbled up by Cinematronics in the weird and contentious history of those two companies. Tell me all about it, Carrington. It's a two-player game. And not two-player in the way that I have lamented before, that, oh, two people can't play at once. Well, this is a game where one person can't play at once. You have to play it two-player. <laughs> and that came as a bit of a surprise to Mike and I when we started playing the game for this week. So both of us had to go out and get pals to play with us um, so that we could actually review the game. So it is a vector game, of course, because it's part of our, our month-o-vector fun. And the idea here is you and your buddy are playing knights in an arena of sorts that has stairs that you can move up and down around the outside and pits that you can fall into and tumble to your doom. And um, unlike a lot of games, instead of going to a number of points, you actually put a pair of quarters in and you get time units that count down. So you're buying a fixed amount of time for which you and your pal can do battle. And the, and the idea is you and your knight, and you're looking at a top-down view of this arena, you move towards each other and you can control both your own little body and also your a sword tip and the goal is either to stab and skewer your evil friend or to push him or her off the side of the pit so they tumble down to their doom um so it is a very very violent game it's a very odd game i i when i first <laughs> like you said this is a two-player versus game i think is what they call that when you have to have another player with you and the computer doesn't come into it at all um and i didn't know that i took a look at the you know i when I prep for these games, I'd look at control panels and stuff, and I saw two joysticks with two buttons on top and thought, oh, well, it's like Crazy Clamor or something where you use one to, to move and one to swing the sword. And so I drop the quarters in, I start the game, and, and I'm trying to move and wondering why my knight won't swing, while the, and I'm trying to figure out why the computer is moving the other guy so erratically. Um, and then <laughs> I had to go and research to realize that I'm actually moving, I'm actually controlling both knights with the different joysticks, and the button press controls whether you are swinging or moving by, by pressing down and releasing. Uh, and I was also confused because it's a very colorful background. There's a lot of, uh, so the, the actual vector graphics, I think, are just the knights themselves, and the rest of it's mm -hmm. this, the, the artwork. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that almost looks like a, a, like a Geiger painting background, and I didn't realize that those were pits and stairs, and I, just, I would push my opponents into a pit and wonder why he suddenly died because I didn't know it was a pit. So I actually had to go and do a lot of reading. It's a very strange game. And my partner for this week was my wife for the 10 minutes that she would play. And then she went, what the hell is this game? And got up and walked away. 
Um, so I don't have a lot of experience playing, and, and I didn't get a great score. Um, and I don't... It's a weird game. Well, I thought that um, I was fantastic at the game until I found there was someone... I was supposed to have a second player. So I, I thought, boy, the computer just stands there and lets me just poke him repeatedly. Well, I embarrassingly did worse than both of you in my first attempt, because not only did I not know it was supposed to be a two-person game, so I'm just eventually figuring out how to move my man. When I brought it up in MAME, oh yes, folks, I use that evil MAME thing, it didn't display the overlay. So, And I had never seen the game before, so I didn't know I was missing all that colorful graphic background oh. stuff. So all <laughs> I saw was a knight in the top left corner, a knight in the bottom right corner. So I figured, okay, I'll go down and fight him. I would move towards him, and I would sort of spiral down and be small and die. I'm like, why, why did I die? So I, why did I die again? I didn't know there were pits. <laughs> so I'm thinking you have to figure out how to get to him by navigating like an invisible maze. I'm like, oh, this is weird. And trying to memorize like, okay, go over, go down the middle and go along the bottom towards this guy and then push him around. I'm like, what? I don't understand this game at all. So it wasn't until I read about it that I realized I was missing the whole arena part of the game. And, and, and there pet. are um, lots of games in MAME that have overlays and things like that, but but typically they're not critical to the gameplay. I mean, right. you could get the uh, you know the outside of asteroids and, and the space invaders and things like that. But but there's not you know things that will kill you on them normally. So yeah, you get no pits, you get no nothing. If you don't have the overlay, this game is completely unplayable. Frankly, I'd kind of argue that it's almost unplayable if you do have the overlay. It's a tough <laughs> tough game. Though it would add to our ongoing list that we're trying to compile of games you can play one handed. So because while this game is complicated as heck, it's technically a one-handed game because the way this was controlled on an actual cabinet there would be two joysticks one for you one for your buddy and the button was on the joystick so when you held down the button you'd be moving your sword and when you didn't hold down the button you're moving your man it's technically a one-handed game when i first loaded it up and then after about five minutes of falling down the pits and things like that and uh i i it's it reminded me a lot of an apple II game called the biles toad which do not is a, a, know that game it's a it's a very and it's a, I don't know if rare is the right, the right word it, it it wasn't I don't think it was very popular uh, except with pirates a lot of people seem Arr. to pass around pirated copies and nobody seemed to know how to play it oh is um, that the one top down with the, you have the two guys and one has like they have axes and shields right I mm-hmm. know and that you, game you jump yeah. on the pads and you fly over the all over the place it's... that was so much better than anything on Commodore <laughs> well of course that's all I remember so mm. much better than Commodore. Yeah, I have an axe and a shield waiting for you, my friend. <laughs> we'll cut that out later. Don't worry, Carrington. <laughs> I found that it was very difficult to maneuver and to figure out how to swing the sword properly uh, and just move. I found a lot of times, even when I knew where the pit was, I still would fall down it because um, the knight would just move into the pit. And it wasn't because... I don't think it was a problem with the game design or programming. I just didn't know how to properly move my guy yeah you gotta like yeah because if you let go of that button then your guy is moving the other thing that messed me up is you start in the the opposite corners and those are Mm -hmm. your safe zones you cannot be damaged when you're in your safe zone and i didn't realize that at first so when i'm playing by myself which is fairly useless you walk over to and and if i can navigate through my invisible maze and get to the bad guy i then would stab him and hit him and nothing was happening it was very confusing and i didn't realize well if i'm not playing with somebody else then i've got to wait till the I can like basically push the computer out of the safe zone before I can actually stab them. Uh, you also don't do damage to your opponent if you just hit them with the side of your, your sword. You've got to actually penetrate with the actual tip of it. So it is really a, a pokey sort of game. So, pokey, pokey. Yeah. I, I, uh, and, and that's why all your Commodore barbs are just bouncing <laughs> off me because I'm in this chair is my safe zone right here. And so you cannot hurt me here. Mike, push him into a pit. <laughs> You know, before I figured out how to swing the sword uh, and it said warriors uh, and, and, and even because the overlay, I thought those were spaceships. I thought they were oh, like star man. destroyers or something coming out of their corners. It wasn't until I, I figured out eventually figured out how to, how to swing the, uh, the sword. And then um, and later when my wife uh, came in, she dubbed the name uh, Lion Sabers. <laughs> so that, that, nice. and, and I'm sure, let's see, what year, what year was this? Uh? It was 1979. Okay, so yeah, 77 is Star Wars or whatever, so 
even though these are knights or whatever, but that I know there's the Jedi Battle Arena that came out later on Atari, and I don't know. I don't know that one's better than the other. They're a little different, but but similar in gameplay. I I think the gameplay here is a bit of a mess, but I'm giving it a bit of a a pass as well because. You know, you get those 1970s vector machines, and they're working with pretty limited hardware. So the fact that it, you know, it, play, it does play smoothly in the game, it didn't seem to cheat. I did find that sometimes I would clearly think that I had I had stabbed my opponent tracker that was over, and I'd be very upset at her, going, "I definitely stabbed you," and then she'd shove me in a pit. Um, so I don't know. Like the game is is a hard one to play, definitely, and it's a crazily rare game. I definitely never seen it before. Had I, any of you guys played this out in the wild, say back in the day? I've never seen it, never heard of it. No, no, me either. Well, there we go. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's get down to it, boppers. We're going to have to do better out there. Our friends just made it past one of the minor league teams. Remember, boppers, be looking good. So uh, what do you guys know about the history uh, behind this game and behind uh, Vector... Beam, no, yeah, no, Vector Beam and Cinematronics, or Vector, who's the, what's the name of the company that makes this? Uh, Vector Beam Vector made Beam. this okay. company, and they, I know, I do know that they were, the guy that formed, that, that formed Vector Beam did so because he broke away from Cinematronics, and then later on, they were purchased back by Cinematronics, mm. there's a whole weird oh, incestuous history there, fill me in, Carrington, I don't even I know the word I, incest. I don't even know if I really have my head around it. I've been reading this week and last week a lot about this, and there's a lot of uh, sort of dispute over the history, and it, a lot comes down to where the source is. Is it like a vector beam person telling the history, or is it a cinematronics person telling the history? Seems like there was some pretty bad blood at the time, and and memories get vague, you know, well into the 90s before people started writing this stuff down, so who knows? But it seems to be fellow named Larry decides that he wants to make Space War, the MIT game, and, All right, yeah. and I think he obtains some sort of rights to the game. So that's one of the reasons that was, he could make it, but it wasn't under copyright, which is why multiple people could put out that game. Like that was put out by both Vector Beam and Cinematronics, but he makes Vector Beam. And it's a, essentially like a, uh, it's a, it's a pots board. It's a, it's a, like a wire wrap thing. So it's not using integrated circuits. It's just, you know, here's hardware that we're, we're sticking together. And the way it's programmed is, is essentially just entering hex values. And there you go. You better have the machine all in your head and you got 4k and, and go to town. So Larry does that. And he's, I guess part of cinematronics and then they break off and he, he licenses back the rights to the boards, I guess, to cinematronics, but then vector beam gets in trouble and they're actually a, a maker of the game. So they come back and they, they then purchase the rights to just to manufacture games from cinematronics, like this knockoff of Mattel football that they make and then they're still in a lot of trouble and then cinematronics then buys them out but not to actually get their games because they're about to go under but they wanted to get back the patent i guess or the board design so that instead of having to pay it's really weird and then as soon as they buy it they stick out this game this is the last game that comes out as as vector beam even though this is begun development under vector beam then cinematronics buys them they put out this game just because they want to stick something out so they call it vector beam a cinematronics company and then they immediately close vector beam and they become just cinematronics but then a few years later they fold as well so it's it's a weird and convoluted history the fellow that made this i guess is a guy named tim skelly he seems to be the guy behind this game and uh there's a great or at least a very interesting and also contentious uh, history of all of this that he wrote called Tim Skelly's History of Cinematronics and Vector Beam. So we'll have a link to the show notes in that. Mike's Arcade, that site, mikesarcade.com, also has a history of cinematronics. These two um, tales do not quite agree with each other. So it really comes down to whose memory and it just it's it's all very very muddy, but it seems that even 20 years later when people were describing this, there's a lot of argument about like who really designed Star Castle and was it a rip off did did Tim rip off an earlier idea and he's saying no, I just saw it as a beta and it wasn't even like the game that existed and they were still arguing about this stuff well into the 1990s. So uh yeah, not 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 a happy breakup at the end of this this company unfortunately. Oh goodness, that's yeah, quite a mess. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you said um, 
that they were originally talking about space war. A because, lot of uh, what I said was interesting, Rob. Don't narrow it down to one thing. Most <laughs> well, of what I, I said I just, then was really, really interesting. Well, <laughs> no, about the space war, because in space war, you each start in your own corner and come out like that. And so the, the gameplay of this, I mean, you, maybe not the, the actual gameplay is not similar, but, but um, the structure of it is, mm-hmm. is somewhat similar. Well, I think as they're working with that very limited hardware, in fact, I, there's, there's a few people out there that have hacks and changes to ROMs that will convert like one vector beam game into another because there's all such similar hardware. And there's some, one of their later games, I think Armor Alley, can essentially run any vector beam game. <laughs> so you can put a hack in that and say, okay, Armor Alley, now you are anything else. Um, up until the point like Cosmic Chasm, which we talked about last week, which is a completely different um, type of machine. It was designed to sort of be the next stage and replaceable boards and stuff and using ICs. But then they went under basically exactly when that came out. So nothing really came of that design. Okay, so since we're talking about hardware and things like that, Warrior is based on the Cinematronic C CPU, which is actually a 12-bit CPU comprised of three 4-bit ALUs in the associated circuitry, uh, and each game then had its own soundboard. Now, the interesting thing about the C CPU, other than that it's, a, I guess, a completely custom circuit and chip and all that, is that it's very easy there to find programming guides and reference manuals and things to this chip and there's there's the exerciser hardware that you can still obtain for this this chip weirdly cinematronics built this like huge support system for this custom cpu that they used in many of their games i'm not surprised they had to do that though in tim's history of him getting hired at cinematronics he said he came and interviewed with larry and who seemed kind of dismissive of him then larry uh leaves the company so he tim was interviewed right before Larry was to branch off and make Vectorbeam. So Tim gets interviewed. L- Larry leaves the company. They form Vectorbeam. Four weeks later, Tim shows up to work at Cinematronics, and Cinematronics has nothing because Larry left and took all the boards and all the all the info and everything with him. So Cinematronics, he, when Larry said, I showed up, there were no machines, there were no boards, there was no anything. What there was was a legal pad and a pencil. <laughs> and he had seen and they, that, they were like, here's the stuff, figure it out. And we got to put out games. We got to put them out quick. And so like, it was. So I think they probably had to document the heck out of it because they had to uh, retroactively engineer the, what was going on in these machines to actually be able to produce stuff for them. Yeah, very, very strange and convoluted game design and history, and the whole thing is just very weird. It's a cool looking cabinet, though. What I like about it is we we've talked about how it's got that overlay. So you're dealing with multiple layers here. It's a full size machine, but the monitor is positioned as if it's like a cocktail because it's going to shine up through a half silvered mirror. So you're getting that idea that it's going to be reflecting on something, and that's how you can have that overlay. And it looks like the the machines are playing on that 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 colored gel, even though the monitor is actually below and you're looking at a reflection. I guess the the biggest deal about the cabinet, it's all black in the front, but the sides, which are white, have a, a fairly sizable and really nice looking bit of side art. And a big part of the promotion of this game was the, that the art for the game was done by uh, uh, famed fantasy arter Frank Brunner. So the, the, it's promoted a lot as this game has incredible art. The art is done by a fantasy artist. But really, it's the side art, not the game. But if you read the flyer and you read everything about the promotion for this game, it makes it sound like the art in the game is designed by him. But I don't think it was. I think just did the side art, although it is quite nice side art. The other thing about this game is it's incredibly rare. They died quite a lot, so it's hard to find one. And they typically go for thousands of dollars, like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. So three, four thousand if you're lucky. So this warrior game? Yeah, this warrior game is bonkers collectible. Yeah, I think uh, mm. there's a lot of love for the super early vector games, and there's not a lot of these. They 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 died a lot, and so. Um, there's a nice story about a fellow finding one of these in a barn. So we can have a, like a f- bunch of years ago, he found a totally junked up wrecked one and it and it sort of made the rounds on the net of everybody excited that somebody actually just stumbled on one of these. And the last mm-hmm. time I found one sold, it sold for about 2,700 or something on eBay. And that was wow. mid nineties. So, yeah. well, it looks like, and just from looking at the pictures of the cabinet online that um, it's definitely something that Maine probably doesn't do it justice you know what I mean? I mean, because um, with that reflection and, and you kind of have almost like a 3D, like a depth to that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like you were saying, if if um, if they were prone to break down and if there weren't that many of them, then then those prices, uh, as 
occasionally happens in this hobby may reflect collectability and rarity and not necessarily gameplay. Right? Mm-hmm. I saw the gameplay. In fact, what really helped me figure out how the heck to play this game was partly reading the manual. So I'll make sure we have a link to the manual in the in the show notes, but also looking at a playthrough video on YouTube. So if, like, if you search for Vector Beam Warrior, one of the first links that comes up is a YouTube video that shows a two-player gameplay. And what's interesting about this, this was posted back in 2008. And what I liked about it is the comments. It's not a lot of comments here, but one of the one of the comments is from the actual developer. So this Tim Skelly guy created a YouTube account, has only posted a couple of videos himself. And for the most part, all he did on YouTube was create an account and comment on this video saying, oh, it's really nice to see this because this is how the game was supposed to be played. And it's rare to actually get an image of the properly played game. So I'll make sure we have a link to the video in in the show notes as well. Well, if you're a collector, um, because of uh, its rarity and popularity, I guess actually it's, it's sort of worked in your favor because if you if you don't have to have original parts of everything, there are a couple of companies out there that build, there's this thing called the Synexor board, which is the, the uh, CCPU exerciser uh, hardware for, for testing your CCPU. Uh, there's another company called um, Cinelabs that makes a, a first. They're, they're saying it's the first fully functional CCPU on an FPGA. Uh, so at least some of these parts, if you like, I said, if you don't want the originals and you're you're happy with you know as long as it looks original outside, um, there are other routes that you can take to get there. Now again, I don't, I don't, I don't hate this game. I don't really love it. It's just kind of one of those weird sort of side roads that we go down sometimes that. I come out the other side going, huh, that was sort of odd. <laughs> kind of like you, Karen. <laughs> yes. When, when you come out the other side of me, you think, well, that's very odd. It, it, what I like about this game and why I'm glad we have taken a chance to play it, it is very much different than any game we've played so far. We've played other vector mm, games, yeah. but this is our first dedicated two-player game. This is our first game that's using bizarre and custom hardware that was really just unique to this one company. Um, it's a game that is really collectible. Like this, So there's a lot about this. And the the fact that it's a, a black and white vector game, but it's a colorful game because you've got the the gel overlay. So there's, there's lots here that at least make it stand out. The um, One thing I thought that was interesting is especially because it's it's that era it's it's arcade games are just coming out we're just starting to see games being made and so there's lots of experimentation you know there's not i mean it it's not part of a genre you know what i'm saying like there's not all those warrior type games <laughs> there's just warrior uh and i like the fact that even though it it feels a little clunky now um, it, you know, my, my kids are small, but if they walk up to an arcade game, they know how things work. They know that the a joystick is going to move around and they know that a button is going to shoot or jump or do things like that. So, uh, I don't know that all those norms had been established mm-hmm. when this game came out. And so the, the control system, I mean, it, it does feel a little wonky, especially compared to, to new type games. I would expect, um, you know, a two joystick type control now, if they were to make this or, um, maybe even a spinner, you know, where you would spin or, yeah. spin the, the player around or something like that. So um, it, it doesn't feel, when you're playing it, it doesn't feel like any other game. Yes. Yeah, good point. Absolutely. Not that that makes it good or bad. It just, you know, like I said, they, they were trying different things at that time. If yours is a house divided, half the family playing board games and half playing arcade video games, then come together and play... Arcade Mania, the game that combines arcade speed with board game strategy. And everyone plays every play. You plan your moves, play your cards, and score points by dodging UFOs, battling aliens, intercepting missiles, or defeating serpents. So get arcade speed with board game strategy in Arcade Mania from Milton Bradley. So in in reading about this, what I liked about the game was... I mean, as much as I enjoyed the game, I've enjoyed the weird rat holes that this game has sent me down this week. Yeah, and and reading about the history of this game and history of the company and read and finding because we're in no vector, finding a lot of other links and things about vector games that I didn't know before. So that's been really enjoyable. Like the I I stumbled on the vector list that I didn't know about before. So there's been this this mailing list 
where people discuss vector games, working on them, collecting them, esoteric little bits of them, fixing them, all that kind of stuff. And it's at vectorlist.org. And they have a nice archive online that's going back years and years and years. So you look at like 10 years of archives of discussions of these things. And it was a great source of info about cinematronics and Vector Beam and this game and other Vector games. So that was fun. And uh, Vector Labs, did we talk about Vector Labs yet? No. Okay, so Vector Labs is super keen. So it's at vector-labs.com, but I'll pronounce it Vector Labs instead of vector-labs. Um, and Vector Labs is, has been around for a while, and I'm super excited to have discovered this. So the thinking here behind Vector Labs, and it seems to be a one-person uh, dealio, this guy makes boards that you can add to existing, proper, real, stand-up, original games. And there's now raster products and console products as well. It looks like it began with vector things. And it's things like boards you can add to Tempest so that Tempest will now have lots of variants to the game. And boards you can add to uh, Versus Cabinet so it can load four games at once. And the idea behind this is in, in not to go with MAME, not to do the kind of things that we do, not to sort of sell yourself with emulation, but to play the real <laughs> games on the real machines. But, for instance, if you've got a Star Wars cab, this sells a little two-in-one multi-board that will make your Star Wars cab also be an Empire Strikes Back cab. So, and then you just can switch back and forth between the two. So it lets you have multiple games, but on original cabinets in ways that you can then remove and be back to the original un unmodified cabinet. Oh, neat. I had heard this these things mentioned, I think, on, on other sites and other podcasts, but I never really gelled that this was something that was current and that you could, you know, go off and buy. So if you're into these machines, particularly if you've you've collected one or more vector machines, you might, you know, want to head over to Vector Labs just to see what it can, you know, bring you more games and, and for a relatively low investment. So. And Mike and I are looking at the website here and it looks like um the, everything just plugs in that you're not permanently modifying the original cabinet. So that's always nice, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love seeing hardware hacks like this that allow you to expand the functionality of what you have without destroying or, or permanently modifying anything. And yet, for the most part, I play in MAME. <laughs> and, and, you know, MAME does a really good job on a lot of things, especially if you have good, um, you know, different types of video output. I, I, it's not, it doesn't look great on LCD screens, but if you have a TV or you have different types of things, uh, you can get MAME to look pretty good. And some of the filters you guys have talked about on previous shows can also make MAME look good. But there's nothing that looks like an original vector monitor. There's nothing that has that brightness, that the crispness, the glow. And so these, these would be a great way to, uh, instead of, you know, being a crazy person in Oklahoma and buying like 30 arcade games. <laughs> Who would do that? <laughs> right. Where you could just buy, you know, um, you know, one or two, you know, a vector machine. And then and it looks like you could upgrade a lot of the different things on it. Yeah, I completely agree. Like I've got my, my Gravatar machine and playing on that actual cabinet feels... It just feels totally different than when I play the exact same game in name. There's something about those XY monitors sending their lasers right at your eyes and the deep rumbling base of the cabinet, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I agree with you 100%, Rob. I also agree with you about Scramble. No, wait, no, I disagree about Scramble. I agree about elevator action. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I thought when I was I, I uh, did the same thing you mentioned about looking at YouTube on the playthrough of this game, mm -hmm. and um, my impression was that, of course, you know, and this is the the late seventies again, but it was like what they thought the future was going to be like. You know, <laughs> you know, like we thought the future. Didn't you think when you were a kid the future was going to be there would just be black lights and and weird glowing things and maybe warriors fighting? Well, and, that's what and, it's like here in Canada. What have you guys got? Well, you should come to Denver. <laughs> We're a little behind here. It's right. thin air. Going going to work every day in my armor with my sword. Well, I thought that's what everybody does. And my black light. With your glowing armor. Totally. Is. I'm you know the disco knight of Toronto, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. So speaking of playing the game, I think uh, I'm dying to hear, Mike, how you did. Now, now, Rob, did you have a chance to play the game as well? Do you have a score to contribute? I do not. My score was one more than whatever you got. Uh, of course. <laughs> so your score was one. 
I've learned from the best. <laughs> you first, character. Right. Well, I, uh, my friend Tracker came over, Julie, and so we played the game for about a half an hour. So we didn't actually, we played maybe three rounds. We didn't play a ton, to be honest, in this game. I had played solo first, so I had figured out eventually what you were supposed to do. And so when she came over, mostly just to, to play other games and to watch videos, but we did sit down for half an hour, play this game, play it three or four rounds. Uh, my very best game uh, unfortunately, I lost, but was my high score, and I got an, an embarrassingly, ridiculously low 21. So I lost 21 to 24, but the highest score I ever got in one of these sticky years. So in the many weeks we've done this, I've had, and you, Mike, we've had scores in the thousands, the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands. This time my score is 21. <laughs> Well, so, we've talked about this before for, 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 and I don't know, I don't know where the line was specifically, but at some point games went from, you would get one point for doing something or you would get 10 points. Maybe, you know, you never see a hundred points unless you did something really great. And so your scores would be in the hundreds or maybe the thousands. And at some point it switched over to, you were getting hundreds of points mm-hmm. and then thousands of points. So yeah, there weren't pong games where you won 50,000 to nothing. So, yeah. Right. Yes. Well, this is, this is one of the games before that. And so, and in fact, the, the score counter only has double digits. It doesn't, doesn't even show a hundred. So I guess if you got good at it, it'd be easy to roll it over. You could be proud of that, I suppose. Oh, that, that's what um, I meant. I rolled it over and got that. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot that detail. Very important uh, I, detail. I don't know how the scoring worked. I know that I didn't get one point for stabbing someone, and or I think you do. For, I think you get one point for stabbing. One point it? if you like the, the uh, if the other guy falls in a pit, you get a point, and if you stab someone, you get a point. It seems to be just one point for anything that scores. Okay. Well, I uh, because because of of the low scoring and, and things like that, and I actually tied you this week. I got twenty one points. Oh, is this the first tie? I oh, in fact, yeah, this would be our first tie. Oh. But mine was a better 21. It was very stylish. Oh, yeah. Actually, mine was probably a bad 21 because most, I wouldn't say most, but many of the points I got were simply because my enemy walked into a pit. <laughs> many of the points <laughs> she got was because I just walked into a pit. That happened <laughs> so, a bunch of times with my wife and I, too. Yeah, a lot less stabbing, a lot more, oh, gosh, I fell again. <laughs> so and a lot of um uh Julie has a version of the McGinnis maneuver, um, but instead of unplugging things, she sort of just reaches over and put her hand over my eye. So I'm like, well that's totally and a lot of about. shoving <laughs> as well. So it's a very uh, violent game when you play this with a friend. I don't know what you're talking about. What 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 are you McGinnis maneuver? What is that? <laughs> Whatever, dude. <laughs> Whatever. So I, I guess overall my impression is that it's I don't this is not one I'm probably gonna play again. Um but I think it's definitely worth a look out there for if <clears throat> For no other reason than that it's sort of a unique, weird moment in the in arcade history. And if you haven't haven't seen it, you know, go take a look, play it for a little while, read up about the history of these two companies, and and uh, enjoy it because it's not a horrible game. It's what I really like is for a future podcast if we could bring on one representative of Vector Beam, one of Cinematronics, to let them battle it out on our show. I think I'd enjoy that very much. We'll, we'll play the Mortal Kombat music in the background. Absolutely. Fight. We can play this game against each other. Make Finish them play. Him. Right. <laughs> yeah, so that would be pretty awesome. Uh, I would like this. Uh, I enjoyed playing the game, but I doubt I'll come back to it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm happy to have played it. It's, uh, we've played some games where I'm like, oh my gosh, that was slugging. And honestly, <laughs> I only played this game for a few hours this week. I didn't put a, a ton into it. Yeah, um, me either. I was mostly reading about the history of the company. Yeah, and, which is and, and the, uh, almost the background behind the game is more interesting than the game itself. I don't think I would include this in my own collection. I don't, Even though it's worth a ton, if I got one, I think I'd sell it. Oh, and if you're a fan of CPUs and, and chips and stuff like that, definitely check out the the CCPU reference manual. There's some neat stuff in there. Now, of course, Rob probably would buy a few of these, even if he doesn't like them, because if it's a cheap <laughs> enough game, Rob will take it. <laughs> right, I could, you know, if I sold these, I could buy 28 scramble machines. A bit. Um, you would probably I'm buy sure. <laughs> 14 scramble machines and, and 14 Shinobi, and there you go. You just have them down in two lines of scramble and Shinobi. Yeah, I, I'm sure this is not. It's not one that I would own if I had a, a, you know, if I was building a personal arcade. But it's one that I would like 
Um, it, it, this might sound weird, but I would like kind of my kids to see it just so they know where games came from, you know, so they could see kind of the evolution because you could see, um, you know, game ideas and mechanics that were carried through and, and some of the things that don't work well that got dropped later on. So it, it's like you said, from a historical point of view, it's interesting, but it's, it's definitely not a, a play, you know, once a day or once a week. <laughs> I'm totally with you on that, though. I love the games from the 70s, to be honest. I mean, I'm an 80s gamer, kind of, but holy cow, do I love the games that were there at the beginning of stuff, those nascent games where they're still trying to figure out, well, how would you control a game? And, and to see all this, the various ideas when it's really fresh, I, I, I love that. Sure, whenever you look at something like, oh, Wonder Boy, and you say, well, how would we make Wonder Boy? And you go, well, they made Super Mario Brothers, yeah. so we will make it look different, but the gameplay will be the same. Right. You know? We'll just and add so, coconuts and call it a new game. Right. <laughs> right. And so so in, in, in this time, there was no, well, what's the other top-down fighting game with giant guys on a on a Mendel Frechtel <laughs> playing area or whatever? You know, and so, yeah, they, they would, I'm yeah. sure they sat down, and I'm sure there was a lot of drugs involved, and they came, <laughs> came up with this control scheme, you know? One thing, you know, one thing I do like that we didn't mention, but let's still throw it in right here, is the little detail of when you go up and down these stairs that go around the outside, your your guy actually gets bigger and smaller. Like, he's actually going up the stairs and down the stairs. And I thought that was a really nice little touch. So, I mean, it's an early game. They didn't have enough lines left to actually draw, like, the pits. But at least, you know, they were working on those little touches. And I, and I did actually appreciate that. So I noticed it. So. Did anybody guess this game this week? Nobody's ever played this game before. Nobody well, guessed. <laughs> nobody's ever played right. it. We also published quite late on our last one, so we haven't had really any feedback since the last show because we're recording like two days after we published. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. I think that pretty much wraps it up for Warrior. Yes. Um, that brings us to next week's game. And, of course, next week's game is also going to be uh, vector-based, so it should be a little bit easier to guess. Um, <laughs> we said and- that last week. <laughs> That's true. We figured somebody would get this and nobody did, but um, here's a little hint. Here's what it sounds like. All right, Carrington. Well, uh, thank you for podcasting with me, and especially thank you, Rob, for showing up and uh, filling in. Hey, thank you guys for having me. It's it's even more fun in person. Yes, we are. <laughs> Even if you are a Commodore user. Oh, my yeah. Gosh. Mm, grumble, grumble, grumble. Yeah, thanks a lot for joining us, Rob. That was totally awesome. All right, everybody. Well, we'll see you next week. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter we are at No Quarter Show. All of those links plus the show notes are available at monsterfeet.com, and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. Come out to play.